Saskia Gracias. Sorry for massacring your name with Anglo uh, pronunciation. Uh, Alexandra is going to speak. Uh, the title of her talk is Beyond the Human Rights Council, UN Human Rights Committee, and its response to anti Semitism. So, Alexandra, as you know, is a graduate fellow here at ESA with us. She's also a junior researcher at the Poznan Human Rights Center at the Institute of Legal Studies of the Polish Academy of Sciences. And she's currently completing her PhD on the legal mechanisms of fighting anti-Semitism in international human rights law. She is the co-author of a report from, uh, which monitors racist, xenophobic, and anti-Semitic contents in the Polish press. And she prepared this for the Ministry of the Interior of Poland. She's the co-editor co of a book called Hate Speech versus Free Speech, Legal and Social Aspects, uh, which was also published in Warsaw in 2010. Uh, she studied the European Studies Faculty of Law and Administration at the Adam Mikowicz University in Poznan, Poland. And her area of research is the legal ban on racial discrimination freedom of speech versus uh, hate speech, and the universal system of human rights protection. Uh, Alexandra also was a uh, recipient of the Felix Posman Fellowship for Doctoral Studies uh, at the Vidal Sassoon Institute at Hebrew University. So it's an honor and a pleasure to, to introduce you to her. provide an insight into relevant provisions of the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights 
which are most frequently invoked um, when the Human Rights uh, Committee deals with the cases of public manifestations of anti-Semitism. Um, in the following part, uh, I will give examples of two individual complaints decided by the Human Rights Committee where the problem of anti-Semitism appeared. And finally, I will present the Human Rights Committee's concluding observations uh, and recommendations to the periodic reports of states which are parties to the covenant where the Human Rights Committee expressed its concern uh, over anti-Semitic incidents and uh, attitudes. And then we'll come to the, to the conclusions. Um, in June 2004, Kofi Annan, former Secretary General of the United Nations, delivered following opening remarks at the UN Department of Public Information Seminar on Anti-Semitism. I quote, the name United Nations was coined to describe the alliance fighting to end the barbarous regime and our organization came into being when the world has just learned the full horror of the concentration and extermination camps. It is therefore rightly said that the United Nations emerged from the ashes of the Holocaust and the human rights agenda that fails to address anti-Semitism denies its own history. The fight against anti-Semitism must be our fight and Jews everywhere must feel that the United Nations is their home too. Um, however, countless examples of anti-Semitic speech and attitudes uh, which appear daily um, in the United Nations Charter-based bodies, in particular in the Human Rights Committee, uh, sorry, in the Human Rights Council, and previously in the infamous uh, UN Commission on Human Rights, prove that not everyone listened carefully to the message of Kofi Annan. The troubling truth is that the organization, which was established for the protection and advancement of human rights, is nowadays too often becoming a form of spreading hate and prejudice towards one particular state and one particular nation, turning Israel into a collective Jew among the nations, as Professor Irene Kotler rightly described it. Um, one of the most um, appropriate characteristics of the Human Rights Council was named by the executive director of UN Watch, Mr. Hill Neuer, uh, during the Human Rights Council session in March 2007. And let me now quote from his speech. Uh, Faced with compelling reports from around the world of torture, persecution, and violence against women, what has the council pronounced? And what, what has it decided? Nothing, but that would be inaccurate. This council has, after all, done something. It has enacted one resolution after another, condemning one single state, Israel, the entire rest of the world, millions upon millions of victims in 191 countries continue to go ignored. Let us consider the past few months. More than 130 Palestinians were killed by Palestinian forces. Yet the champions of Palestinian rights, Ahmadinejad, Assad, Gaddafi, John Dugat, they say nothing. Little three-year-old boy Salam Barusha and his two brothers were murdered in their, car, in their car by Prime Minister Hani's troop. Why has this council chosen silence? Because Israel could not be blamed. Because, in truth, the despots who run this council couldn't care less about Palestinians or about any human rights. They seek to demonize Israel's democracy, to delegitimize the Jewish state, to scapegoat the Jewish people. They also seek something else, to distort and pervert the very language and idea of human rights. And this very bitter assessment uh, given by Hillel Neuer is also a reflection of, in my opinion, many of us think about protecting human rights uh, by the United Nations. However, and this will be, as I previously stated, the topic of my presentation, 
Simultaneously, the United Nations uh, has created and developed another system of human rights protection within its structures, uh, namely the system of UN treaty bodies. Let me now uh, start with explaining the most important facts and differences about the system of charter-based bodies and the system of treaty bodies both coexisting within the United Nations system. Starting with the UN charter-based body system of human rights protection. Um, here on slide, the reputations are from the official information of the United Nations um, describing the tasks um, of those uh, charter-based bodies. Uh, the Human Rights Council uh, is an intergovernmental body made up of 47 uh, states responsible for strengthening the promotion and protection of human rights around the globe. The Council was created by the uh, General Assembly Resolution in March 2006, replacing the UN Commission on Human Rights. The United Nations Charter-based body system also includes the so-called special procedures, which is the general name given uh, to the mechanism established by the Commission uh, on Human Rights and then assumed by the Human Rights Council. Uh, special procedures mandates usually call on mandate holders to monitor, advise, and publicly report on human rights situations in specific countries or territories known as country mandates uh, or on major phenomena of human rights violations uh, worldwide known as thematic mandates. And special procedures are either an individual, mostly called special rapporteur, or a working group composed of five members. Um, among the special procedures, uh, there are some which at least theoretically should include the problem of anti-Semitism in their activities. And these are the Special Rapporteur on Contemporary Forms of Racism and the Special Rapporteur on Freedom of Religion or Belief. Um, nevertheless, the conclusion which arises from my research is that the problem of anti-Semitism is of a little importance to, to those rapporteurs. And at the same time, what I think uh, is worth no noting, uh, the attention of both uh, special procedures, which I mentioned, uh, has been shifted to the issue of uh, Islamophobia and defamation of religion, which should actually be understood as defamation of Islam. Um, because in 100% of cases, these are the resolutions uh, of the Human Rights Council, uh, supported by Muslim countries, which oblige special rapporteurs to deal uh, with defamation of religion and, and Islamophobia. And there's, uh, of course, the General Assembly um, being described as a unique forum um, for multilateral discussion on the full spectrum of international issues. And now coming to the second system, the UN Treaty Bodies System of Human Rights Protection. Um, the Human Rights Treaty Bodies are committees of independent experts uh, that monitor implementation of the core uh, international human rights treaties. And this aspect of independence is of a crucial importance here because while the UN Charter-based bodies uh, are composed of states or their work is monitored by state and controlled by states, the independent experts of the United Nations Treaty Bodies are acting in their personal capacity and they are strictly forbidden to take any instructions from their government. Uh, today there are, there are nine human rights treaty bodies and in my presentation I focus on the Human Rights Committee which monitors implementation of the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights. Uh, what do the treaty bodies do? They perform a number of functions in accordance with the provisions of the treaties which created them. And two main uh, functions include consideration of individual complaints and consideration of periodic reports of states. 
Now, before I come to the presentation of particular examples from the human rights committee's practice uh, where the problem of anti-Semitism uh, was raised, I will briefly mention some provisions of the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights. Uh, they are most often invoked by the Human Rights Committee when it decides on cases uh, concerning um, various manifestations of anti-Semitism or when it considers periodic reports of states. And this is Article 18 of the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights, um, stating that everyone uh, shall have the right to freedom of thought, conscience and religion. And here the most important is paragraph 3, um, stating that freedom to manifest one's religion or belief may be subject only to such limitations as are prescribed by law and are necessary to protect public safety, order, health, or morals, or the fundamental rights and freedoms of others. Uh, there is Article 19, uh, guaranteeing freedom of opinion here without any limitations, and freedom of expression with some uh, limitations described in paragraph 3. Um, here also the, the restrictions are permissible when they are provided by law and are necessary for respect of the rights or reputation of others or for the protection of national security or of public order, public health or morals. And Article 20, uh, which doesn't guarantee any rights, uh, instead it imposes legal obligation on states. And um, this obligation uh, concerns any propaganda for war, which shall be prohibited by law, and any advocacy of national, racial, or religious hatred that constitutes incitement to discrimination, hostility, or violence, which also shall be prohibited by law. Mm -hmm. Now we come to the uh, individual complaints uh, considered by the um, UN Human Rights Committee. Um, any individual uh, who claims that uh, his rights under the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights have been violated by a state party to that treaty may bring a complaint before the UN Human Rights Committee, uh, provided that the state has recognized the competence of the committee uh, to receive such complaints. The committee first decides uh, if the complaint is admissible, taking into account many different elements, and if the complaint is found admissible, then the consideration on the merits uh, takes place. The final result of, result of the examination um, of complaints is presented in the form of so-called views of the Human Rights Committee. And although those views are, do not have a legally binding character in the sense as the judgments of uh, International Criminal Court or the International Court of Justice, state parties to the uh, Covenant are obliged to fulfill them. And in the event of failure by the state to take appropriate steps, the Human Rights Committee uh, tries to put pressure on the government of the state and can inform the UN Commissioner on Human Rights on the existing situation. Um, I would like to present two complaints uh, of individuals who had been convicted by the domestic courts for spreading anti-Semitic ideas and who turned to the Human Rights Committee requesting protection for their rights under the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights. In both decisions taken, um, the Human Rights Committee's attitude towards public manifestations of anti-Semitism has been expressed very clearly. Um, in the first case, the author of the complaint was Robert Foison, a well-known Holocaust denier. Foison uh, was a professor of literature um, at the University of Lyon until 1991, when he was removed from his chair. 
As he stated about himself, while he did not contest that, uh, the use of gas for purpose of uh, disinfection, he doubted the existence of gas chambers for extermination purpose at Auschwitz and in other uh, German concentration camps. On 13th July 1990, the French parliament passed a new law which uh, made it an offense to contest uh, the existence of the category of crimes against humanity as defined in the London Charter on the basis of which Nazi leaders were tried and convicted uh, by the International Military Tribunal uh, in Nuremberg. Mm. Shortly after the enactment of the new law, Foison was interviewed by the French monthly magazine. He reiterated there, uh, his statement that there were no gas chambers for the extermination of Jewish people in Nazi concentration camps. Mm. Following the publication of this interview, uh, 11 associations of French resistance fighters um, and deportees to German concentration camps filled a private uh, criminal action against Foison and the editor of the magazine. The French court sentenced Foison and the editor uh, for having committed the crime of denying the crime against humanity and imposed fines. The conviction was based, on, among others, on the following statements of Mr. Foison. Uh, I quote, no one will have me admit that two plus two make five, that the earth is flat or that the Nuremberg tribunal was infallible. I have excellent reasons not to believe in this policy of extermination of Jews or in the magic gas chambers. And the second statement. Um, I, I, I would wish to see that 100% of all French citizens realize that the myth of the gas chambers is a zone's fabrication endorsed by the victorious powers of Nuremberg in 1945-46 and officialized uh, on 14th July 1990 by the current French government with the approval of the court historians. What was the complaint of Mr. Forison? He contended that the French law uh, curtailed his right to freedom of uh, expression and academic freedom in general. He complained that uh, the incriminated provision constituted uh, unacceptable censorship. Um, French government responded to, to that complaint, stating that the new law uh, responded to the preoccupations of the French legislator vis-à-vis -vis the development of negationism, mostly through individuals uh, who justified their writings by their, by their perceived status as historians and who challenged the existence of the Shoah. Uh, to the government, these negationist uh, ideas constitute a subtle, subtle form of contemporary anti-Semitism, which, before the implementation of the new law, could not be prosecuted under any of the existing provisions of the French criminal legislation. France added that the racism must uh, not be regarded as an opinion, but as an aggression and hate. And it was exactly because Forison expressed his anti-Semitism through the publication of his negationist thesis in journals and magazines, and thereby tarnished the memory of the victims of Nazism, that he was convicted. Uh, on that basis, France uh, concluded that Forison's activities clearly contained elements of racial discrimination, which is prohibited under the uh, International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights, um, and the State Party invoked here in particular Article 20, Paragraph 2 of the, of the Covenant. Um, in Forison's submission, uh, he reiterated that uh, the desire to fight anti-Semitism cannot justify any limitations on the freedom of research, 
um, on a subject which is of obvious interest uh, to Jewish organizations. Uh, he qualified as exorbitant the privilege of censorship from which the representatives of Jewish community in France benefit. Um, what was the decision of the committee in this case? The Human Rights Committee decided first that the complaint was admissible and uh, considered it on the merits uh, in the light of all available information. Um, the committee stated that the restrictions on Corizon's freedom of expression was provided by law. And next, uh, his conviction did not encroach upon his uh, right to hold and express opinions in general. Rather, rather that the French courts uh, convicted him for having violated the rights and reputation of others. Mm. The committee had to consider whether the restriction on Corizon's freedom of expression was necessary. Uh, and the committee shared here the state party's argument contending that the introduction of um, the new law which penalized Holocaust denial uh, was necessary to serve the struggle against racism and anti-Semitism. Uh, the committee stated also that the nature of Horizon's comments uh, were, upset, um, were strengthening, the, the, his comments were strengthening anti-Semitic feelings um, and the protection against it uh, was necessary to respect um, the right of the Jewish community, community to live free from fear of an atmosphere of anti-Semitism. Um, for all those reasons, the Human Rights Committee decided that the facts uh, did not reveal a violation by France of Mr. Foison's freedom of expression. Um, I would also like to quote here a statement made by one of the members of the committee, uh, which I think is very significant in, in the context of, of this case. This is a statement of Professor Thomas Bordenthal, who is now um, who is today a judge of the International Court of Justice. Um, as a survivor of the concentration camps of Auschwitz and Sachsenhausen, whose father, grandparents, and many other family members were killed in the Nazi Holocaust, I have no choice but to recuse myself from participating in the decision of this case. And now the second case, the case of Malcolm Rose uh, versus Canada. Um, Mr. Rose worked as a teacher in the school district of New Brunswick from September 96 to September 1991. Uh, throughout this period, he published several books uh, and made other public uh, appearances and statements, including a television interview ref reflecting his controversial opinions. His books, comments, and, uh, and opinions uh, concerned abortion, condemnation of Judaism, and superiority of the Christian faith. Uh, as controversy around Mr. Rose grew, his uh, in-class teaching was monitored. Then Mr. David X, a Jewish parent whose children attended another school in the same school district, uh, complained to the Human Rights Commission of New Brunswick, claiming that the school board, by failing to take actions against Mr. Rose, supported his anti-Jewish views and discriminated against Jewish uh, students. This complaint uh, led to the decision of the Board of Inquiry of the Canadian Human Rights Commission, which is a quasi-judicial body uh, in Canada dealing with cases of discrimination, uh, which stated that it had, I quote, no hesitation in concluding that there are many references in the writings and comments by Malcolm Rose, which are prima facie discriminatory against persons of the Jewish faith. Malcolm Rose identifies Judaism as the enemy and calls on all Christians to join the war. Uh, the Board of Inquiry uh, also heard testimonies of uh, Jewish students from the same school district. 
They gave evidence of repeated uh, and continual harassment in the form of derogatory statements uh, and name-calling of Jewish students, carving uh, of swastikas into desks of Jewish children, drawing on swastikas uh, on blackboards, uh, and general intimidation of Jewish, uh, Jewish students. Uh, finally, as the result of domestic proceedings, Mr. Rose was removed from his uh, position as a teacher. He appealed to the Supreme Court of Canada, which upheld its decision. In his complaint, Mr. Rose claimed that his rights under Article 18 and 19 of the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights have been violated, in that he was refused the right to express freely his religious opinions. He emphasized that he never expressed his opinions in class and that there is no evidence that any of his students at the school had been affected by his writings. He also denied that his views are racist any more than atheism is racist or Judaism itself. And in his opinion, criticism of Judaism and Zionism for religious reasons cannot be regarded as anti-Semitism. Um, now, state parties submission. Canada argued that Articles 18, 19, and 20 of the Covenant must be read and interpreted in a consistent manner, uh, and that the state party, Canada, therefore, cannot be in violation of Article 18 or 19 by taking measures to comply with Article 20. It was submitted that freedom of religion and expression must be understood as not including the advocacy of national, racial, or religious hatred that constitutes incitement to discrimination, hostility, or violence. Um, Mr. Ross responded to that, uh, and in his comments, he again denied, again denied that his writings and statements undermine democratic values and that they are anti-Semitic. Um, in the views of the committee, uh, first the committee found this uh, complaint admissible and started consideration on the merits. The committee had to decide whether the restriction on Mr. Ross's right to freedom of expression met uh, the condition, conditions set out in Article 19, Paragraph 3, that it must be provided by law, it must address one of the aims, uh, it means respect of the rights and reputation of others, protection of national security or of public order, or of public health or morals, and it must be necessary to achieve this aim. Mm. As regards the requirement that the restriction be provided by law, the committee noted that there was a legal framework uh, for the proceedings which led to the removal of Mr. Ross from his teaching position. Uh, in view of the findings as to the nature of Mr. Ross's public statements, the committee concluded that the restrictions imposed on him were for the purpose of protecting the rights and reputations of persons of Jewish faith, <coughs> including the right to have an education in the public school free from uh, hate and intolerance. And the Human Rights Committee accordingly concluded that the fact did not disclose a violation of Article 19 of the Covenant. And as regards the claims of Mr. Ross under Article 18, the committee noted that the actions taken against him by the Canadian authorities uh, were not aimed at his uh, religious beliefs as such, but rather as manifestation of those beliefs uh, within a particular context uh, consequently, um, the committee held that Article 18 was uh, has not been violated. Um, and now, what conclusions arise from those uh, presented views of the Human Rights Committee? Firstly, um, although um, freedom of expression is of crucial importance for the functioning of democracy, it's not an absolute right. Secondly, the limitations placed on the freedom of expression are more admissible uh, in the case of hate speech being uh, circulated in the public sphere. 
Further, Holocaust denial may be regarded as a form of hate speech. Moreover, the state parties uh, to the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights are not only allowed to place limitations on speech um, in their domestic legal orders, but they are obliged to do so um, to effective, effectively um, prosecute individuals spreading anti-Semitism. And last but not least, anti-Semitism is regarded by the Human Rights Committee as a form of racism and racial discrimination, which requires the reaction of the state. And now I will come to the um, state reports and uh, consideration of those state reports by the Human Rights Committee. Um, when a country ratifies international covenant on civil and political rights, it assumes a legal obligation to implement the rights recognized in this treaty. But signing up uh, is only the first step because recognition of rights on paper is not sufficient uh, to guarantee that they will be uh, enjoyed in practice. So the country incurs an additional obligation to submit regular reports to the Human Rights Committee on how the rights are being implemented. Um, to meet their reporting obligations, states are obliged to submit an initial report one year after joining the treaty and then every four years. In addition to the government's uh, report, the Human Rights Committee may receive information from other sources like uh, NGOs, uh, UN agencies, uh, intergovernmental organizations, um, academic institutions or press. Uh, in the light of all information available to it, Human Rights uh, Committee considers the report in the presence of the government representatives and based on the examination, the committee publishes its concerns and recommendations called concluding observations. Uh, firstly, I would like to present those concluding observations uh, where the problem of anti-Semitism has been noticed and then I will come to um, the consideration by the Human Rights Committee of some reports where the committee uh, failed to raise the issue of anti-Semitism despite the fact um, that the reporting states were commonly known to, to have a problem with anti-Semitism, sometimes for a serious one. Mm. Uh, in case of Belgium, in November 2010, uh, while consider considering the fifth periodic report of Belgium, the committee expressed concern about the resurgence of anti-Semitic and racist acts in this state. The committee regretted to note um, that the bill to prohibit neo-Nazi demonstrations was not adopted by the parliament of, 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 of Belgium and has expired. It recommended the state party uh, identifies its efforts to combat anti-Semitic acts by investigating such acts and by prosecuting and punishing those responsible for them. Mm, Egypt. In 2002, the committee was deeply concerned at Egypt's failure to take, take action uh, following the publication of some uh, violent articles uh, against the Jews in the Egyptian press, which in fact constituted advocacy of national or uh, racial and religious hatred and incitement to discrimination, hostility, and bias. Uh, the committee urged uh, the state party to take whatever action was necessary uh, to punish such acts by ensuring respect for Article 20 of the Covenant. Poland. One of the most harsh critiques uh, was directed by the Human Rights Committee to the government of Poland uh, in November 2010. The committee expressed it expressed its strongest um, concern about persistent manifestations of anti-Semitism, including physical attacks, desecration of Jewish graveyards, and the dissemination of anti-Semitic propaganda through the internet and print media, 
uh, despite numerous measures taken by the state party against those manifestations. Uh, in case of Switzerland, the committee was concerned about the sharp rise of anti-Semitic incidents occurring in this state, including stone throwing and verbal threats that disrupted Jewish fundraising event in Geneva in March 2009, and the arson fire that destroyed the largest synagogue in Geneva in 2007. Um, the committee was also concerned at reports that the police in Geneva had not fully investigate, investigated the pattern of those incidents. And lastly, Ukraine, in the concluding observation, uh, observations issued to the periodic report of Ukraine in 2006, the committee emphasized that members of the Jewish community have suffered physical assaults, including attacks on, Jew on Jewish students, yeshiva students, and their rabbi and his son in Kiev. The committee demanded that the state party ensures that all members of ethnic uh, religious minorities are protected against violence and discrimination. And um, the examples, th those examples of criticizing states for their insufficient reaction towards the problem of uh, anti-Semitism by the Human Rights Committee are, in my opinion, more than the Human Rights Council or the General Assembly uh, have ever done to fight anti-Semitism. Uh, however, the Human Rights Committee has unfortunately remained silent while considering state reports of, among others, the Netherlands, Libya, Russia, Syria, Great Britain. Um, and, for example, in the case of Iran, the latest report of this state, uh, which was actually due 15 years ago, and Iran has uh, first submitted it uh, in July 2009, well, this report will be considered by the Human Rights Committee uh, in August this year, and I think it will be a kind of a very important test for the committee uh, demonstrating its attitude towards state-sponsored genocidal anti-Semitism. Uh, but let me consider in more detail um, the case of the Netherlands. Uh, the Human Rights Committee considered uh, the report of this state in uh, July 2009. At that time, uh, anti-Semitism in the Netherlands has already reached the highest um, and most drastic level since the end of the Second World War. The incidents of physical aggression towards dead Jews were condemned by the European Union, by the European Commission Against Racism and Intolerance, which stated that there was a sharp increase in the most serious manifestations of anti-Semitism. It was also indicated uh, that these manifestations have shown a close link uh, to developments in the Middle East and that the radical Muslim groups uh, and to a lesser extent, uh, radical left-wing movements were reported to be responsible for that. In the Netherlands, in the Netherlands, anti-Semitic insults and expressions have tended um, to become a feature of everyday life. Uh, as an illustration of that, um, the word "Jew" is reported to be increasingly used uh, as an insult, and different aspects of Holocaust are questioned uh, in everyday situations, such as in schools. Um, another exa example, in May 2010, the escalation of anti-Semitic moods and manifestations uh, led to the disruption of the anniversary commemoration uh, of the last deportation of Jewish children from the Netherlands to the German concentration camps. Uh, when the participants of the commemoration started saying Kaddish, they were interrupted by the shouts Zik Heil and uh, Hamas, Hamas Jews to the gas. But let's come back now to the UN Human Rights Committee's uh, and its evaluation of the death periodic report. Even though during the examination of this report, one member of the committee asked the government uh, representative about measures undertaken to fight anti-Semitism, 
No recommendations were formulated in the concluding observations to this report, despite the fact that this state is facing an extremely dangerous rise of anti-Semitism. And some conclusions on concluding observations. Um, despite the fact that the Human Rights Committee has not in, uh, included proper comments on anti-Semitism in many of its uh, concluding observations, I would argue that its recommendations uh, can still be an important policy instrument of the policy of naming and shaming. Poland can be a good example here. After the publication of the committee's concluding um, comments and recommendations, the government immediately announced a plan uh, for improving and strengthening their efforts to combat anti-Semitism. Uh, however, the most alarming and negative aspect of committee's conclusions is a visible tend to avoid any condemnation of anti-Semitism when it appears in the Muslim communities in Europe or when it's a state-sponsored anti-Semitism of many Arab countries. Mm, and the recommendation on Egypt uh, was only a single exception here. Um, my belief is that it is still easier to condemn the devastation of Jewish graveyards in Warsaw than to stand against um, uh, Muslim youth shouting Jews to the gas in Amsterdam or, or London. And message the former manifestation of anti-Semitism should not be disregarded. Uh, the latter must not remain without a proper response either. For that reason, the active participation of NGOs and civil societies is absolutely necessary. They must influence and process, uh, the process of considering uh, state reports by delivering precise and detailed information as to the gravity of anti-Semitism in the countries which um, by now have been avoiding any criticism of the human rights Committee. Um, okay, coming to, to the conclusions. Firstly, I would argue that uh, while the UN Charter-based bodies, um, mainly the Human Rights Council and the General Assembly, uh, have not only excluded the problem of anti-Semitism from their agendas, but they uh, have in fact turned, uh, turned into platforms uh, of spreading anti-Semitic hate. The treaty bodies and the Human Rights Committee in particular have the potential of assuring much broader protection for the victims of anti-Semitism. And this potential is, my in my opinion, based upon treaty provisions like Article 20 of the Covenant, which uh, contains an obligation of the state parties to implement proper legislation prohibiting hate speech and hate crimes, and also upon the Human Rights uh, Committee's jurisprudence, which consists of the concluding observations and recommendation to state parties' reports um, and the views to individual complaints. Uh, secondly, the results of the work of the Human Rights Committee may be a useful tool of naming and shaming policy, however, when two conditions are fulfilled. Firstly, the, the activities of the Human Rights Committee must become more visible, and secondly, the Human Rights Committee must acknowledge that demonizing Israel, boycotting Jewish scholars, or crying death to the Zionists may as well amount to the examples of brutal anti-Semitism and that the problem of anti-Semitism is not only limited to the devastation of Jewish graveyards and swastika paintings. Um, moreover, there is definitely the need for stronger, stronger involvement of the civil societies, NGOs, uh, national human rights uh, institutions, etc. I'm really convinced that if the Human Rights Committee received, let's say, 20 reports on anti-Semitism, for example, uh, in Syria, observed in Syria, it could never ignore them and would have to uh, raise this problem while considering the periodic report of this state. 
Um, and finally, I would indicate on the need of a reform of the treaty body system, guaranteeing legally binding character of the UN Human Rights Committee's uh, views and recommendations, including legal sanctions for non-compliance with the standpoint of the committee. Uh, however, the plans and projects of such reform are still under consideration and no final decisions have been uh, taken by now. Thank you very much. taken by uh, 
state party, for example, of Geneva Convention against Iran. Um, as we said, we, we have to find a state, state party to the Geneva Convention which would be brave enough uh, and courageous enough to stand against uh, Iran, for example. Um, by now, we haven't found one. And I don't think it will happen because, of course, countries are very reluctant to, to start such proceedings in front of the most important uh, judicial bodies um, in the world. So It may happen in Canada. It may happen. Canada is progressing. If this, if this would be a case that Canada decides to take this action, then of course there are uh, legal ways to do so. Even to, Iran is not a state party to the uh, wrong statute of the International Criminal Court. Uh, but the case may be transferred to the attention of the prosecutor by one of the uh, state parties uh, of, the, of the statute. So not the United States, because we know the United States is not the party to the statute, but Canada, Poland, Mm -hmm. uh, one more question, which may be legally not to learn or ask anyways. You're, you're you were talking about issues of academic freedom. Yes. Ahmadinejad clearly is inciting to genocide in his he, regimes. He gave a seminar at Yale University. Is that academic freedom? Or the fact that somebody who's advocating genocide who comes to our mm -hmm. institution to give a lecture, is that interfering with our action? Um, I'm absolutely sure uh, that if there was a complaint against uh, Ahmadinejad uh, decided by the Human Rights Committee, it was decided uh, it is not a form of academic freedom to incite to genocide. Absolutely, this is not covered by the guarantee of freedom of expression. Uh, because this is, for example, in violation of Article 20 of the Covenant, which says that any propaganda of war and any incitement to hate uh, should be legally uh, forbidden. So uh, I would never say that this is a manifestation of academic freedom, not at all, because it's incitement to violence, hostility, genocide. So did he interfere with the Yale community's uh, mission of academic freedom by preventing it? Yes. Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, thank you for this uh, interesting speech. Um, I have a question. Um, what do you think uh, might be the reasons and the causes for the Human Rights Commission uh, not to take into account contemporary forms of anti-Semitism, like you stated in the example of the mm -hmm. Netherlands? I mean, there's a working definition, at least uh, on the European level, uh, from the European Agency of Xenophobia, Anti-Semitism, and Racism, uh, which takes uh, these contemporary forms of anti-Semitism into account. Mm -hmm. So, what do you think about the reasons uh, for not doing so? Yeah. Well, unfortunately, the working definition, which we mentioned, uh, has no legally binding character. It's just like a um, document which should serve as a help while considering cases um, dealing with anti-Semitism. So the committee is not obliged to take it into account. Um, why it's, yeah, this is because how I said, I think that this is still like safer and more uh, comfortable for the UN to, uh, to react on um, anti-Semitic manifestations like devastating Jewish graveyards or swastika paintings. Um, or to commemorate the, vic the, the victims of uh, the Nazi Holocaust. This is much easier to do. Um, 
Of course, the fact that uh, UN Human Rights Committee uh, excluded, in a way, this uh, new forms of anti-Semitism, like um, hate against Israel, for example, uh, it has a lot of to do with the general attitude towards this problem in the whole United Nations. So, um, but I think that the experts of the committee are um, not sure if they may like include these new forms of anti-Semitism, if it's still allowed for them, they are very reluctant to do so, because of course they are surrounded by uh, people at the UN stating that this is absolutely not a form of anti-Semitism to, to, to shout, for example, death to Israel, that this is only a form of uh, anti-Semitism position. So you think it's a political question? It is still, although this is this should be not a political part of the system, but the legal part of the system. But the politics clearly influence the, this part of the human rights protection system. I'm wondering if one doesn't have to put this into a larger context. Essentially, a jihad against Western civilization and enlightenment values that's taking place now in the world that anti-Semitism is just one piece of the action, but there's a much broader struggle of a clash of civilizations, and I'm wondering if the United Nations group is politically uh, capable of taking care of the broader situation uh, that's taking place, essentially uh, the uh, questioning of pluralism in Islam, uh, in political Islam, uh, the questioning of diversity in political Islam, the uh, essentially questioning of democratic values by a supremacist religion. Uh, this is sort of on a stage area dealing with Holocaust, which is really part of the past, but uh, is there's a much greater struggle going on now with the, against Western civilization and the Enlightenment views of expression. Uh, how can uh, can that committee uh, be capable of dealing with the broader issue of mm -hmm. Islam, of jihad against Western civilization? Uh, yes, a very good question. Um, it, sh it should deal with all those issues, for example, while considering uh, periodic reports of Syria, Lebanon, Iran. We will see in August this year what uh, does the committee say about Iran. I'm really looking forward to this, to this uh, um, examination of this report. But I think that by now, even the United Nations Com Human Rights Committee, being not the political but the legal part of the system, is unable to, to take actions uh, which, was, which would really deal with uh, genocidal anti-Semitism, which we are now facing. And um, I have an example here of a resolution adopted by the Human Rights Council. Um, this is one of, um, I don't know, I think 20 resolutions dealing with combating uh, defamation of religion. And this, this shows uh, the attitude of Muslim countries and their, um, and their will to dominate the whole discussion with the issues of Islamophobia and, so, uh, and uh, discrimination of uh, Muslim uh, populations. So a um, very interesting thing is the, the way how the, the states in the Human Rights uh, Council vote on that. They're in favor, um, 20 votes in favor, all countries, all Muslim countries, 17 votes uh, against, 
all uh, European countries, um, plus uh, Uruguay, Zambia, um, Argentina, and all the rest European uh, European countries, and abstaining Bosnia and Herzegovina, Brazil, Cameroon, Ghana, India, Japan, Madagascar, Mauritius. So until uh, the domination of Muslim countries with the votes uh, won't stop, so such resolutions will be passed. Uh, saying nothing about uh, uh, anti-Judaism uh, or anti-Semitism, but including only the problem of Islamophobia and the formation of uh, Muslim, Muslim people. So I think that this problem is still to be solved, and hopefully it will one day. But by now, uh, UN is so very much dominated by uh, Muslim countries and the countries which support them that this is really difficult to deal with all those problems you mentioned. Do, did I answer your question? Uh, let someone else pick up a question. I'll come back. Okay. Yes, sure. Can any country such as the United States or Israel bring charges against a country like Iran for inciting um, genocide and for Saudi Arabia for not allowing freedom of religion and to what forum would they bring it to within the United Nations? Mm -hmm. Well, in the system of human rights committee it's impossible because uh, there is something like interstate complaint when one state can uh, bring a complaint and, and against another state but the state must agree on that and uh, from that, uh, what I know, the United States uh, has never agreed on this interstate complaint mechanism. Syria didn't as well, so uh, it's not possible in this system. It's also not possible uh, with the system of international criminal court because those countries are not uh, state parties to the state, the wrong state. So you have two countries that are violating the <coughs> basic. Uh, rulers of the United Nations itself, and there is nothing that anybody can do? Well, there is um, Geneva Convention on uh, Genocide. When you are talking about incitement to genocide, then yes. But it demands that one party, one state party, one country, um, launches the procedure against another country. And uh, this is like highly impossible because states are afraid to do so simply. The best proof is that until now no country has done such an action against another country. But can the so you think so? Is it possible? Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, I'd like to suggest that the issue has really gone beyond that. Uh, and what's taking place in Egypt now, Muslim Brotherhood, and the clash of civilizations, that's very clearly emerging. The question in terms of Western civilization is at stake. Uh, and uh, dealing essentially with Holocaust, that's one area that's past history, but the present history is essentially the genocidal situation in terms of the Muslim Brotherhood, supremacist religion, and the idea uh, in terms of what's taking place in Europe. I don't know if it's taking place in Poland, because Poland is heavily Catholic, but in the Netherlands and other areas, essentially, the inundation with the concept of a monolithic 
view of what is right and the intimidation of those who do not accept that and who abide by the Western concept. So I'm raising a fundamental question. It's good academically to look at this, but specifically in terms of the action plan for today, does it really pose an action plan that can be deal with what's going on in the world? Or is this no. just essentially uh, an anachronism that it's nice to talk about academically, but where does one go with this? Well, it's, it's nice to talk about it in academic terms, really. But I still would argue that this is important, that there is, a, in the, within the structure of United Nations, there is uh, a committee which uh, raises the issue sometimes, not always, but sometimes it raises the issue of anti-Semitism, while uh, at the Human Rights Council you will never hear any condemnation of anti-Semitism. So this is important, but to deal with the problems, which I agree are uh, dramatically important uh, nowadays, uh, like this legal dimension of the UN system, human rights protection system, it, it doesn't bring any, any answer to that, or it cannot to hone in specifically on anti-Semitism, the incitement that's taking place in the Muslim world against the Jews and, and uh, the uh, lies in terms of structuring is, is very significant. Uh, and it's a prelude to Holocaust. It's a prelude to anti-Western views. What specifically can the United Nations do in terms well, of that situation? There's a Genocide Convention from 1948, uh, which uh, prohibits incitement to genocide. And to bring every country which is a state party to this convention may bring an interstate complaint into the International Court of Justice against Iran, for example, or for incitement to genocide. Uh, no, it's against Iran for not prosecuting Ahmadinejad for incitement to genocide, for not prosecuting the government for incitement to genocide. So we are still waiting, as Charles said, maybe Canada will be the first country which would be uh, courageous enough to bring such complaint, interstate complaint, to the International Court of Justice. And then the court will decide if this is incitement to genocide and how to punish it. But um, before that, we, we cannot do it much. Yes. I guess I'm asking the question. Is there anyone else? I don't know. Go ahead, keep going. Is there anything in terms of real politic, is this realistic in terms of the modern world? I mean in terms of what's happening? Or is this uh, sort of Woodrow Wilson concept in terms of the United Nations, uh, pluralism, uh, uh, which is essentially outdated in terms of what's happening now. It's not much different than the League of Nations before that. There was a precedent. It's called League of Nations. There were also powers. League of Nations. So that's Some of the things that seem to have changed, though, is the world's dependence on energy from these anti-Semitic groups, where it would seem as though people are right now seem to be living in fear because of the terrorist activities around the world and the, the jihad itself. People fear it in their own nations. They fear 
the reprisals from the Arab nations and the squeeze that they could put on them financially with uh, the cost, with energy costs. It seems to me that people are just turning a blind eye in hopes that they aren't punished for standing up for Israel. Uh, I agree with you. With, with, these, with the increased energy costs. So Mark, it seems like uh, a few years back you had a man who came in and spoke. He spoke about our dependence on foreign energy and it causing a lot of this crisis. So it seems as though any inroads that we make and start to get people to come towards to stand up against anti-Semitism, it seems like with the turn of the valve and the, the oil prices changing, that people only have so far that they'll go, and then they seem to just turn a blind eye. They feel like they're, 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 they're. Well, that's suggesting economic factors, and I'm suggesting right. there might be an anti-Semitism as a latent area that is feeding into this so that uh, it's acceptable. Right, and they seem to be using economic yeah. factors to manipulate people to turn a blind eye to it. Because when, if you were to talk about a lot of times when you talk about this quietly, everybody agrees. But when it comes time for people to stand up and publicly take a stand on it, they turn they turn away from it. Yes, and the way of influencing the process of uh, consideration of state reports would be that organizations like in, in NGOs uh, submit reports, for example, on anti-Semitism in the Netherlands. I'm wondering, I don't know that, but why those organizations are not submitting such reports? That the Human Rights Committee becomes, becomes like 20 such reports, it must then deal with this case and then announce publicly uh, that there is a problem of anti-Semitism, uh, even in this Muslim uh, form in, um, in, the, in the Netherlands. So I, I see here a uh, great uh, responsibility of civil societies and NGOs um, to deal with this issue. But to some reasons, they don't, why not? So. Uh, re relating to Poland, uh, I was in Poland in 76 and 78, two summers. Uh, I wrote an article on Janusz Korczak uh, and Janusz Korczak at that time talked about the rights of children in the re Children's Republic, etc. And that was before the Holocaust. That was before the Holocaust. So it's nice to theoretically talk about these things, but what is the real politics?